Ladies and gentlemen, as part of the Jeremiah Show, welcome to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Now here's the host of a show, a man whose three favorite directors, Bob Zemeckis, Blake Edwards, and Burt Reynolds, all did the same thing with their fingers. It's TV's Tim Stack. Yay! I did a little delay there on the yay, yay, because I was trying to remember the story. Yay, I remembered the story. Yay! Uh, So this is... It's not that great a story. It's more of an opportunity for me to drop three big director names that I worked with. Uh, But... um, Actually, it was, I have to say, looking back, three really cool experiences were working with Bob Zemeckis on the pilot for Johnny Bago. Uh, But he had done Back to the Future and, you know, Forrest Gump, just crazy stuff. Um, And then Blake Edwards, who had done Breakfast at Tiffany's, one of my favorite movies, and The Pink Panther, and just, you know. And then one of my first earliest memories watching TV was Peter Gunn. So there was that. Um... And then Burt Reynolds. It's Burt Reynolds. I mean, how cool is... And it was in the height of his career, so how cool is that? So, um, what they all did, which was really interesting, was they sort of let you do what you were going to do. Like, just show me what you're going to do. And so, you'd, you'd... This is mostly during camera blocking, but then we were actually shooting, too. Uh, if there was something big change. But I didn't have any big changes. But all they would do with this, and I'll do this for the YouTube audiences... But basically, they would take like their thumb and two fingers like they were manipulating the volume, like going to 11 and Spinal Tap. All they would do is just dial, they would just go like this and they would dial it up and then you'd do a take and then they would sort of just like dial it back down a little bit. And that's all they did. That's all. <laughs> like they didn't say anything. They just go, hey, Tim. And they would just manipulate their fingers. And then they'd go, hey, Tim. And then they'd dial it back a little bit with their fingers. But they didn't say anything. They just did this with their fingers. It was very interesting. And I'm dropping names, but, you know, Bob Zemeckis, I know a little bit from being in Santa Barbara. And I've talked to him about that. And he loved being compared to Blake Edwards, which is like, oh, my God. It's like Bob Zemeckis. But he did. He just said, that's all I need to do. It's like, and I said, what about like getting the person into character? And he said, if they don't come with that, they shouldn't be here. Like if they don't come with prepared, this is what I want to do. And if it's horrible, I'll say something. But for the most part, I've cast them. I pretty much know what they're going to do. And then it's just volume control. It's like, make the character bigger, make it smaller, you know, whatever. So, And then they did it all with their fingers. <laughs> anyway, speaking of directors, I have a guest today, another old friend, because that's all I seem to have on this show, because <laughs> I'm too lazy. Uh, <laughs> Jeremiah is laughing at me, our producer, because uh, I just like having my friends on. I know they have good stories. This guy has really good stories. Uh, but he's also a director, in addition to being a writer. Uh, and we're going to hear all about his career. I'll go home and pack my panties. You go home and get your scanties. And away we'll go. Ooh. Now we're going to shuffle. Shuffle off to Buffalo. Mike Mariano is a writer, producer, and director who has worked on such shows as Yes, Dear, My Name is Earl, that's where I met him, Raising Hope, that's where I worked with him and for him, The Last OG, Rel, 
And then he got into, he said, done some other stuff that I really want to talk about. One is a Hallmark movie, Delivered by Christmas, and a movie out now on, on Netflix called Honey Girls. Please welcome to the show, Mike Mariano. Yay. First of all, you look good. Your facial hair is minimal. You went, yeah, you last, went like last this Last week I had the Civil War hair. general. Oh, okay. <laughs> Going. The Civil but, War uh, general. I, I, I shaved it. I shaved it for uh, my son graduated college, one of my sons. And, and I thought that I did not want to look like uh, COVID beard for the photos <laughs> forever. So I, I shaved it. Or you want to be a Civil War general at your yeah. son's graduation, <laughs> especially in today's world, you know, from the Confederacy. Um, yeah. So, Mike, uh, first of all, what we talked about a little bit before, explain your backdrop. You're either a woodworker or a mass murderer um well both and um my 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 uh, good friend owen smith who i often facetime from this location makes me turn my camera around to just make sure there aren't any bodies uh in the garage before he <laughs> becomes so funny and so i'm not the first to on a zoom up. uh yeah no there's no bodies it's uh, it's woodworking this is my woodworking shop this is where i um uh, I make things. Uh, I thought it would be an interesting looking shot for the uh, thing. And no one right. will bother me out here because <laughs> no one no one comes out here but me. Uh, it's also, I'm just realizing, not air conditioned as the <laughs> house that I could be in is right now. So if I look a little... Uh, Look a little uh, glossy there. It's not nerves. It's, no, it's a little warm in the valley finally. But you know, it's been it's been cold for so long. I'll uh, take it. I'll we take went, the heat. Uh, we went to the desert just to finally experience heat again uh, yeah. last weekend. It was really really fun. So, uh, and what do you make it? Uh, you told me once you you like to imbibe in cannabis and make cutting boards. Is that still? Well, there's a yeah. I'm I'm on. I, there's a Facebook group called uh, I'm High, and this is woodworking, <laughs> uh, which I just love. Uh, and for the record, I don't ever operate power tools while I'm under the influence of anything because that would be really wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I'm I'm I've, I'm I'm going to take all ten of these to the grave. Is my goal. It would be uh, so funny if you hung up and you had like four fingers. <laughs> oh, it went so poorly. <laughs> that way better. Um, I'm really careful. I promise you. <laughs> yeah, but no, I like to. Uh, I, I I like both those hobbies. Uh, and uh, coming out here and make things, make uh, sort of cutting boards, charcuterie boards. And I made this planter, and I left this one here in the background. Yeah, because I thought you'd get a, a kick out of. It. I'm not sure if you could see. Yeah. Uh, but 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 what it says there. Oh, my name is blank. Yeah, a little uh, throwback to my name is Earl. And right. Basically, then with this planter, you have these little uh, pieces of wood that slide down in there that have like uh, black paint. That's like a chalkboard. So then you can write what's in there. So you make an herb garden and you change out the herbs. You can change out the little sign. Uh, so that's going to be a gift for somebody. I don't know who. Very Maybe interesting. You. Who knows? Maybe me yeah. for being on the show. That's that's really nice of you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, bring it to the picket line. You can give it to me there. I'll carry it in the picket <laughs> line. We're going to talk about sign. the strike, but we're going to do that in later in segment four, because I do want to hear uh, from a director's point of view about that strike, because Mike is a writer and a director. Um, so uh, I always ask the same question, I because I I'm genuinely interested in how because it's such an insane business. How did you get started? And I know you took, you know, uh, not the normal route. So, t so tell us. I mean, you know, started is a, a if we go all the way back the the forty two years it is now that I had my first professional sort of job in a summer theater. Is uh, that the Catholic University gig? 
uh, and that was acting. Uh -huh. uh, and that was college as an actor. But also, you know, while I was there, I learned a lot of things um, in terms of stagecraft and stuff like that. And so I also became a designer. And so I was a, uh, an actor and a set designer and a lighting designer. And uh, I got my first professional job out of college, which was a national tour uh, as an actor. And I just hated it. And was that uh, the I, Catholic University tour? That was, yeah. The yes. national players out of Catholic University. Because right? we talked about um, that because I was accepted to go to their MFA program. And I was going to go. My dad said, I'll pay for it, mostly because it was Catholic. Uh, <laughs> but then I just, I thought to myself, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm staving off the, uh, the inevitable here. If I do this, I'm afraid I'm not going to pursue what I really want to do. So anyway, I interrupt. Sorry. Uh, no. Uh, so, um, so so while i was out on the tour i uh i realized that i just had more ideas than i was allowed to execute as an actor and uh you know first time out of college working with directors who are not like the friendly ones you went to school with who were your teachers you kind of just like the, i i think i'm better ideas than this guy well let so me interrupt while I was one second on the tour on the tour wasn't if i'm remembering because they came to boston college and performed mm -hmm. wasn't one of their staple shows a shakespeare show it was always a Shakespeare and another classical. Right. So we did. So uh, basically you were trying to rewrite Shakespeare as well. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so we do those and, and everybody had a job. I drove the truck right. and was responsible for getting the sets up and everything. Uh, and then I had a role in each show. Um, and so I started applying to graduate schools. I was supposed to like you go there and get the MFA after yeah. this year, you do the tour for you, you go get MFA. And so I uh, instead decided to uh, apply as a director other places and Yale said no and Columbia said yes. So I went to Columbia uh, and got an MFA in directing in, and that in, got me to New York theater directing, theater directing. Yeah, theater directing. And that got me to New York. And um, that was, you know, a sort of a, a, an easier way to get there because it had some structure around me and, and stuff like that. And then but uh, didn't you become after, once you got to New York, didn't you? Aren't you a member of like some weird union, like the furniture movers or something? <laughs> no, Why do I, uh, I was like a stage equity. person or a stagecraft um, person uh, or something. The stage actors union. And I was a member of IATSE, uh, which I still consider myself a member of, although uh, I, I don't work under the jurisdiction anymore. Uh, but I worked enough that I built up a little annuity. I used to do turnarounds on soap operas, uh, mostly on all my children. Um, what, Susan what, Lucci, nicest person you could ever meet. What is? What do you mean you did turnarounds? What does that mean? Oh uh, well, oh sorry. At night they got to change the set, so they shoot all day. That's what I thought. You were in a union that moved furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, but it was IATSE. It was the we, we were moving the furniture on a soap opera set. Sometimes yeah. we were moving the whole wall but, uh, and the whole set. Okay, I didn't. I'm so glad because you know at my age I just worry about senility, and if yeah. I made that up, I'm so glad to hear that you moved furniture. I wasn't yeah, right I about did. the union, but you moved furniture. I probably at some point told you a story that I preferred when I was working the soap opera gigs to work in the props department because the heaviest thing we had to lift was a piece of furniture. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, taking books off bookshelves right. or looking at a picture and putting them up exactly how they were supposed to go. Everything on the bookshelves, you know, uh, vacuuming. We did a lot of vacuuming. So were you there the all night, like moving furniture and then the actors because they show up early on those shows. Yeah, 7 a.m. Right. So yeah. you were still like your your day was finishing then and they were showing yeah, we, up. 
we'd come in we'd come in around five or six in the afternoon and it was there was a little a studio uh uh in new york city it's the it's the one that i believe is used in the credits to the odd couple um and it's not there anymore i don't think but it was right next door to ansonia station and so all of the scenery for the next day had to be out on the street so we would just be unloading trucks from like five six seven o'clock and lining it all up on the sidewalk and if it was bad weather we would stick it in the ansonia station right. uh, bays there and then they would finish shooting they would take down all the sets put them on dollies and roll them out and then we would put them on trucks so if i was on the loadout you know the loading dock crew then that's what i did we just dollies in you know dollies out dollies in all day all night and then they would set it set up the new one sometimes though i'd be inside and uh i was kind of like the rain guy because most of the guys were um bridge and tunnel guys they were like from they lived in long island or they lived in out new jersey you know they were talking about their boats and stuff and i lived in the city i was just up at columbia like up amsterdam avenue you know 30 blocks so if somebody if they needed an extra guy and sometimes if it rained they got to add a guy so i was always the rain guy and uh somebody shows up you know too drunk to work or whatever right they got to call a guy in yeah these were and, and none of these guys had aspirations to be anything but furniture movers in iotsi yeah yeah, That's no, they were all guys, you know, getting enough hours to earn their benefits and do all that. And I was just picking up enough cash to survive um, and not having to wait tables or do right. any of those other jobs that uh, are sort of not showbiz jobs. Right, but and you're sort of in showbiz at this point. Sort of, yeah, sort, sort of. of. And you do get to, you know, if I'm there when they're shooting, I get to watch how they shoot. I get to see how it works. What do they say? What's the language? Right. You just pick up anything you can so that anytime you get a chance, you can pretend like you've been there before. And I like hearing that Susan Lucci is a really nice person. I always like that. Generally, people who've had careers that long are nice people. Yeah. And this was, I mean, this was back in, you know, late 80s. Right. Uh, when she was still in that whole snubbed every year category. Right. But yeah, she really was as genuine and nicely to the crew and everybody around. Um, so then we're going to get to, I know, I know a little bit, and it involves the actor, writer, director, maybe, uh, Mike O'Malley. Um, so what, wh I guess my question is you, you did the furniture moving and then you caught a break with Mike that got you out here or were there jobs in New York before then? No. And you know, my, my wife also was a Columbia, uh, graduate directing student. So basically we were living in New York and we were just putting on shows anywhere we could. Right. Um, you know, we would produce them ourselves. We would direct, you know, she, one of us would direct. We had all, our friends were writers and stuff. And there were all sorts of little, you know, um, 10 minute play festivals we would get in and we'd put something in that and sort of like the Fringe Festival out here in, in Los Angeles uh, is a, an equivalent sort of style and thing that right. we did. We just, you know, uh, and then uh, one day uh, I got a, a, a call from a guy who said, somebody gave me your name uh i'm directing a play i'm writing i wrote a play and we're 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 changing the direct we're firing the director we're in the middle of casting it's supposed to open in a month and we were going to cancel it and this person said i should call you first and that was mike o'malley gotcha. and yeah and, 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 and okay and, so that's how you met he just called you he heard you got your name and called you he just called me. Yeah. And oddly enough, I had just I had been going up to Boston where another friend of mine had a theater and I would work up there uh, designing lights and stuff uh, for a playhouse up in Boston. And I, my I, my van was double parked uh, and I was carrying stuff in when the phone rang and he called and he was only, I don't know, like 15 blocks away. So I said, great, I'll drive down right now and get the script. I just got back from Boston. And of course, anyone who knows Mike, which I did right. at this time, knows he's a huge Boston guy, big uh, Red Sox fan, Bruins fan. Uh, and he was like, what are you doing in Boston? So we stood in the lobby of his building on a freezing February night and- uh, Hit it off. 
he handed me the script and uh the next morning i called him and said i definitely want to do this and we opened exactly a month later i think okay and that's it's like called diverting devotion and i got my name in a samuel french script because it got published uh three of mike's plays are published and and so in one of them the original production is directed by me so that was kind of a fun thing to have after very cool. looking at all the scripts you know doing plays your whole life you always look at the script in the beginning the original production right very good very good okay very romantic. we're, we're going to take our first break i'm talking to mike mariano he uh, you can find him on twitter at a, he's got a weird address but i'm going to give it to you <laughs> it's at the number three mike the number three mike the number three am i right on that it is so there are two mics and three threes three so mike, separate three mike the three. two mics by threes anyway He's there uh, at that, uh, and his uh, movie Honey Girls, which we're going to talk about, which is, uh, again, you've launched into some different areas from where we first met with Earl and Raising Hope, and uh, so I want to talk about that, uh, and we're going to take our first break. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, everybody. It's Tim Stack from It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack, asking you to watch the show Sprung on freebie amazon's new free channel i promise you it's funny it's got heart and my shoulder appears in episode three A good boys. Uh, it's radio with TV's Tim Stack. I'm talking to a friend, Mike Mariano, old friend, old co-worker. Uh, we met on uh, My Name is Earl. But uh, you were talking about meeting Mike O'Malley, who sort of got you and launched you. And you, you did that play and you started a relationship with him. And then he came out to L.A. to do the show Yes, Dear? Well, he did that thing on ESPN, or or he did another well, Mike show. Had, Mike had been doing Mike had been doing a show on Nickelodeon called Guts and Global Guts, where he hosted like a, a, a show for for kids where they like climb on climbers and try to win races and and stuff like that, right. like an American Ninja type thing, but way before that for kids. And he hosted that, and then he also started doing those Rick commercials. Right, that's where uh, I first saw him. Where the Rick and that's where everybody kind of knew. Yeah, a lot of people yeah. knew him from that. You were in one of two categories: you were a kid who saw him on Nickelodeon, or you were. You know, person Here's a question: sports. Did he ever Sorry. have hair? Uh, yeah, he had okay. hair when I met him. Yeah. Did he have hair? He had hair when you met him. Yeah. And did he have hair when he hosted the Nickelodeon show? Because I just remember him with the Rick with the baseball hat, like me, because I have yeah. hair. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, so you meet him, but he had he went off and did a show, I think, on NBC something. Well, that- he did. He just, it was on the WB. It was called Life with Roger, and actually, right. he was coming out and testing for it while we were doing the play in New York. He actually had to leave for a few days to fly out here and test for that, and, uh-huh. he, and then he got that, and they did that show. And it went one year, but he was on one of like, I think he was on a two-year holding deal. Don't quote me on that, but something like that. So the next year, he did another pilot that was for um, the WB and Fox. I think it was Warner Brothers for Fox, maybe, something like that, uh, and that he wrote himself. Um, that I believe Sam Simon uh, was also... 
don't know if Sam directed it or was show running it, something like that. But Sam Simon was there as the one time I met him when it came out for that pilot. And so I, I came out and worked on a couple of those pilots and things like that. And then the following year, he did another pilot for NBC, the Michael Malley show, which did get on the air, but it, it didn't last uh, very and long. And he we, got a bad rep after that for some. Yeah, it was like just a I had weird, never met him. And then when I met him, it's like he's like the nicest guy and he got this it's, bad rep. It's, the, it's exactly what happens in show business. It's like the most uh, jealous high school craziness you've ever seen. Um, basically, a lot of writers whose pilots didn't get on the air were mad that an actor's did. Uh, and so they didn't consider him a writer, they considered him an actor, right? And so, you know, and, and Mike's very earnest and very heartfelt when he talks about anything he does. It, he it, Even if it's comedy, he never talks in any sort of like really sort of silly broad way about comedy. He's always looking for the heart of it and what matters. His plays were, yeah. you know, very much that way. And uh, and the TV shows that, you know, he's he's done now on uh, on, on Stars, the two he's done on Stars, uh, heels the wrestling show yeah, and then sure. he did yeah, uh, like survivors remorse with lebron james before that both of those shows were very deep shows where the comedy comes or it doesn't but it doesn't have to and so when you're doing a network multi-cam comedy and you try to make it a little too heartfelt i think a lot of the writers were like he's not funny enough this isn't funny enough whatever so uh he had distributed uh just a letter to everybody well like a letter to the staff saying kind of here's a lot of the things i thought about and and people just kind of made fun of it and passed it around and made it out that he was difficult. And, and Mike's not difficult right. uh, at all. And um, so then he gets, ca- then he meets Greg Garcia and yeah. he gets cast in Yes, Dear. And yeah. that show runs for six years, I think, 2,200 yeah. whatever number of episodes later. So then, because I, I know your first gig as a writer was on Yes, Dear. Well, it was on the Michael Malley show, actually. That, that Oh, really? Yeah, I was there for that. I was there for the whole thing. I was the first person who read the infamous sort of manifesto, they called it, that he passed out and said, yeah, this, I mean, so I was like, yeah, this is probably you, a good you, way to communicate. You proofread his manifesto. <laughs> and I, I've been a little smarter and savvy, more savvy. Uh, I would have said, oh, don't show this to anybody. In yeah, the Mike, just put this I away. That's so funny because that is, that is something you would do new in the business. Like write a manifesto. I'll tell them. Right. No, 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 no. Except don't. he didn't call it a manifesto. It was no. simply trying to communicate to the people who were supposed to be writing the show he was had created. Uh, so that they would understand kind of where he was coming from. And it got dubbed a manifesto. So he never called it a manifesto. Uh, um, but anyway, he's such a good guy. And he gets cast in Greg Garcia with Greg Garcia, also a good guy. So yeah. then, but you had never really written anything, right? No, I kind of, I kind of, uh, I got, I got on the O'Malley show because um, he had co sort of co-created it with, or he had been paired with Les Firestein, who is a writer. Yeah. Who uh, lives up here in Santa Barbara. Um, and I came out to work on the pilot. And after the pilot reading, Les said, all right, give me your three best notes or something like that. Mike's friend. And uh, Mike's I told friend. him what I thought. And he said, if you want to come to the writer's room for the week, you can. And so I just got in the room and started, you know, learning. And then, uh, and then when, um, Mike got on Yes, Dear. I did not get on. Uh, they did not hire Mike's friend um, on Yes, Dear season one. But between we, seasons one we, and two. We should explain, I though, that. Chance. Let me interrupt for one second. We should explain yeah. that hiring the friend, if you're a writer, hiring the friend of the star of the show is not generally not a good thing. No. You're the exception because you you adapt and all that. But generally, you don't because there are times when you're talking about the star. It's like, eh, why did he tank that reading or whatever right. it is? And this is their friend in the room. 
Yeah. And, and and nobody on the O'Malley show respected me because I hadn't probably earned their respect. <laughs> you know, and there was people who had been writers assistants and stuff like that for years. But I also did have like already I was 35 years old and I had 20 years of doing a lot of plays and a lot of uh things in other formats than this. Right. Uh, and I was a good joke writer. I was always a good joke writer. So uh, if you could be funny, you can hang on. So you learn the format and learn how to make story. And then once you're a good story uh, breaker, then you're, you know, then, then you're golden, right? If you're, you've come up with good story ideas and you can be funny at the same time in half hour comedy on the network schedule that we used to be on, um, oh, then, then you'll work. But I didn't really ha have that. And I didn't truly deserve that first job. Uh, and everybody made me keenly aware of that's how they felt. Um, but, you know, uh, Mike and, and Les, to some extent, hired me and I took the opportunity and I moved from from New York to L.A. Did you? You didn't then, have, did uh, you have kids I did then? not get on. And after season one, I, I pitched them some episode ideas, hoping that that might get me uh, a chance to get on for season two. And it did not. Uh, so I didn't get on for season two either. But then at some point during season two, I used to go to the tapings uh, of Yes, Dear. Um, during seasons one and two before I worked on it. And I would hang out in O'Malley's dressing room and I could watch the feed and I would see all the scripts from the week, you know, because the show gets rewritten, yeah, multi yeah, get yeah. rewritten every week, right? So there'd be a big stack of scripts on it. So I would read through and look at each scene and then I would see how they changed it, what they changed, what they changed, go through, look at the pages with the stars to see what, what stayed, what went. And then I'd see the final um, thing that they shot. So I got to learn, you know, a little bit from that, from just being there and seeing how, how, how the story structure worked and, and things like that. And then uh, ultimately um, they hit that October. Uh, Dull draw. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're kind of out of stories and, you yes. know, and again, it's network TV. It's not like, well, let's come up with 10 and when we're done, we'll shoot them and then we'll right. put them on Netflix. It's we need a story today. Like right. no one's going home. So we have a story because we have to write the outline tomorrow, get it approved so we can get the script done so we can get a table. Read. I mean, it is just a constant churn, as you know. So they were at that point where Garcia hates getting behind. He hates getting behind in his pipeline and they needed a story. And so they were hearing outside writers and he said, you know, you came in with two stories and we gave you some notes and told you to uh, work got him and come back in. Why haven't you come back in? And um, you know, the, yeah, I, I said, my agent's been trying and calling to get back in, but uh, uh, Alan Kirshenbaum is not returning his calls, which is where we should probably introduce Alan Kirshenbaum to this yes. story, uh, who, of course, uh, created Yes, Dear with uh, Greg Garcia right. and was one of our very dear friends. Um, and so he said, oh, tell, tell him not to call Alan, tell him to call me. So I was like, OK. So I, I did get back in. I did pitch one of the stories, which was just something that that, that happened to my wife where uh, she was out here, had no friends. We had two kids. She was just going places with the, 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 the kids and everyone she met was just people who had kids the same age. And then those would be our new friends. And so and then I would have to meet the husband. And then right. inevitably, I would find some way to get along with the husband. Some when I'm with that guy, we just talk about this one topic or whatever. And then she would have some falling out with the woman and I have to say goodbye to the guy. That's the television comedy version of a real life sort of thing that was happening in our yeah, lives yeah 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 and it turned out to be a good good enough episode that season three they hired me so so they did that ep they shot that episode yeah, yeah so i got an episode in season two like right. a freelance and you hung out was great. during the week while because it was your episode that they were rewriting yeah. and you got to be right. part of it and then they liked you and they said give them a job yeah um that's a good story that's not how again it's not how it normally works because you're Michael O'Malley's friend, but that's a great, I mean, and then the rest is history. Because once you're in the club, then you're on your own and there's nothing Michael O'Malley can do. And and you proved yourself. Um, 
but you gave up. I remember, guys, I was always, uh, I loved hearing about your apartment in New York. And yeah. you finally gave, didn't you have it subletted for a long time? Because it yeah, was just like, like, it was such a good apartment. I can't give this thing up. Yeah, we had it for like, I don't know, 12 years. Like yeah. we lived, we, we moved in in uh, 93 and we lived there for six years. We moved out here in 99. And then I, I think we sublet it until the fourth year of Raising Hope. What would that have been? 2014, 13? Yeah, around 2013. Yeah. Uh, my friends, Kevin and Amy, who sublet it for us. And I only sublet it to friends. Uh, and I only sublet it for the same price I paid. I didn't like, I wasn't, you know, a... Uh, ripping off my landlord or anything. And they were, and, and so they were always aware of the fact that they could get kicked out at any time too. So I didn't have like tenant issues. Right. Um, and it worked out great for them. And they, they had, uh, they raised, they had three kids there and then they moved out here. Right. right. Um, and that's when I had to give it up. But yeah, basically everyone just thought they were us because they had one kid, I think, when they moved in and then had a second kid or whatever. That's funny. So pe the, the people just, the, the just superintendents and stuff just thought they were us. And the landlord was a cool guy. Um, that's funny. These kids, they never grow up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they keep getting younger. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we had another kid. Um, and some plastic surgery. Um, we're going to take our second break. I'm talking to Mike Mariano, writer, director. We're going to talk some more about his career. I want to talk about Raising Hope because uh, we worked on that show a lot together. Um, and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hi, this is Mike Mariano, writer of The Honey Girls, and you're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. I got locked up for 15 years. I used to be just like y'all. Check your own potential, man. Actually, sorry to interrupt. Let's go to brunch! Ah, what happened to Brooklyn? That was from the last OG, a show Mike worked on, uh, Tracy Morgan. I really liked that show. I really... That show could have gone a lot of different ways, and I just really liked it. The premise was a guy who went to prison. He gets out, and Brooklyn's completely different. It's all gentrified, and what the heck happened while I was gone? It's sort of like uh, Sprung. It's a different version of Sprung of a guy getting out. You know, Sprung is with COVID. but um, Yeah, and, and also in the pilot, his girlfriend has something she wants to tell him, and he says, hold on, I got to run out for a second. And he runs out for a second to make a quick drug deal and gets arrested. And the thing she wanted to tell him was that she was pregnant. Uh, and so when he gets out in 15 years, uh, he has not only has two kids who are 15 years old, uh, she's now also uh, married to another guy who's white. So it was Tiffany Haddish, was married to Ryan oh. She was his name is uh, terrific actor. Um, but anyway, they they and they had two kids. And so his whole world. And then, of course, Brooklyn. Yeah, it's completely gentrified. So the Brooklyn he remembered is now yeah. coffee shops and stuff. It was a great premise. Great premise. Um, yeah. And, and really good show. I really, really like that. I'm a huge Tiffany Haddish fan. I think she's like. Is she a nice person? That's my question. Is well, she a nice I, person? I did season four and Tiffany wasn't on the show anymore. Oh. In season four. Oh. She heard um, you were coming and she left? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure what happened during seasons two and three. Um, oh, okay. Because I wasn't there for any of those. I really came on the show season four. Uh, and that's when when uh, the aforementioned Owen Smith took over showrunner and, and hired me to work with him. Uh, and so our, our season, we tried to get back to what worked in season one. Right. And, uh, we, you know, we created one of the things that I think um, softened the show a little bit was you could only have the when, when Tracy and Tiffany would go at each other in season one. I mean, it was great. But 
over time, you know, they kind of soften and they kind of become friends and she lets them back into her life to see the kids and stuff. So you lost that sort of just anger at each other, that right. conflict that was so hilarious. And so for season four, we um, we created a character played by uh, Davine Joy Randolph, who is a fantastic actress, and kind of were able to get that energy again, like a person he knew growing up, uh, growing up together, who he reconnects with, and he, he wants to help try to save the community center, and she's running the group trying to save the community center, and he's trying to get his way in and she wants him to go away and they had tremendous uh chemistry and uh really could go at it and she's super funny and super uh talented as an actress all around and of course tracy you know yeah gets a great partner like that he's always good oh he's so funny um but let's go back to raising hope uh for a little bit because we were you know we were there from day one and then mike took over the show the last season, Greg went on to a deal at CBS. And, and so let's talk about that. That's a weird thing is to take over an existing show. That's yeah. not an easy thing to do. But on the side, you know, it's your shot to run a show. So talk about that for a little second. Anything come back to mind? Come, come to mind. I, I, I described it, I think the Hollywood Reporter or something, when I said, asked me this question right when I took over, and I said, it's like being the uncle who moves in after the dad dies. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like nobody's happy that you're there and you're self-conscious the whole time. Um, and, and you just kind of feel like, yeah, I know. I know everybody wishes dad didn't die, but I'm, I'm here now and I'm just trying to be a father figure to your kids. Uh, it's like, I, I, I imagine it's what's that what that's like, right? right. They, they just, you know. Uh, yeah, you're better than nothing, but you know, we had this other guy who was really great, so it was very intimidating. Yeah, well, the other guy got a really good deal, so <laughs> <Yeah>. he left. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, guess what? You uh, stuck with me, but everybody loved you. I mean, you had been there it, for three years, and this, you know, and uh, a member of the family and the crew, and you know, uh, that was all that was all good, but it is. I had forgotten that line from the reporter, that's very yeah. funny. And Garcia very really true. set me up for success. I mean, he, he, he. He created a great environment. He, you know, he really does super respect everybody at work and makes that a staple of everything. So that was the way our show operated. It's not like a show where there's some dysfunction or somebody gets, you know, in trouble and then gets fired and then you come in and everything's a mess. I mean, it was really a smooth running machine. It was, it was, it was my, my, my game to lose, you know, so to speak. And I, I think we, we did all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we did, we did great. Um, and, and you're right about there was just, you know, and again, it's, it's a trademark of a Garcia show, which is there's never dysfunction. There's never crazy behavior. You know, Cloris Leachman, RIP, rest in peace, Cloris. Yeah. She was a handful, but I think that was big. First of all, she was unbelievably funny and talented. Yeah. But a lot of that was her age. She was 190 or something. Yeah, I used to joke with Cloris, and I go, Cloris, I got two uh, five-year-olds over here. I got to deal with. I can't deal yeah. with three. But she, but she really was mischievous, and just yes. she didn't want to just go sit in her trailer and wait for her turn. She wanted to have fun. She and uh, you know sometimes when you're trying to get stuff done on time on schedule, uh, but overall, um, you know she she was so obviously such a talent, such a great person to meet and know. Contributed so much, obviously, to the show. Um, I am remembering one story about her. But this and somehow the whole Me Too cancel culture ha happened like just after Raising Hope because uh, if you remember, even when Greg was there, Mike ran the show. I was sort of in charge of the acting, like I would sit in on the auditions with the casting director. And back then, before COVID, actors would come in and audition in a room. They would drive to Chatsworth. They don't have to do that anymore. 
But he came in, and, and this guy came in, and he was just, his face was just ashen. And I said, I said, are you okay? And he said, well, I just saw Cloris Leachman naked. <laughs> not something you want to see. Again, she's 190. You don't want to see that. But also the fact that Cloris, there's an actor in a hallway, and Cloris flashed this guy. Like, that's a recipe for a loss. Today, it's like that would shut a show down. You know, like an yeah. actor flashed somebody auditioning. But it was Chloris, and people went, you know, eh, it's Chloris. What are you going to do? She's, you know. Yeah, we used to shoot those topless scenes where she would take her bra yeah. off and run around, kind of her staple, yeah. and uh, we'd shoot them from behind. So obviously yeah. her front was completely covered yes. with this thing that was sort of taped on there, uh, but it looked from behind like she was naked. Yeah. And then the thing would sometimes get loose and fall off, and she'd be like, oh, I don't need this. I'd say, yeah. Chloris, it's not for you. That's for the crew. Yes. <laughs> she would get a kick out of that joke. Yeah, she would. And she would get the joke, but there yeah, were times where it's just like, oh, but she boy. would still do it again. Yes, she would. Um, so, uh, looking back on that, I know I have my favorite moments. Is there something that jumps out at you at Raising Hope? First of all, you can watch Raising Hope now on Freebie as well as Hulu. So, um, I think we just got to check Raising Hope. Nice. Yeah. yeah, I think I got one recently too. Yeah. Um, so, uh, is there anything that jumps out of your mind like a favorite moment from? Uh, from that show. You know, the, the, yeah, one of the things while I was doing the show, my sons watched My Name is Earl and they were just, I don't know, at that age, probably about 10 and 14, something like that. Starting to get and jokes. They, uh, perfect, perfect yeah. age for My Name is Earl. Uh, and they watched, they binged it because binge watching hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. And so it was just happening. It came onto a platform. We had the platform. They watched it all. And so they watched the whole thing and they got to the end, they go, I really don't like the ending. And I was like, what do you mean? They go, I mean, this weird cliffhanger and all this stuff. And for those who don't know, yes. the season four cliffhanger of My Name is Earl was meant for a season five. We were 100% convinced there was going to be a season five. It was a real shock and uh, an odd way the business works in terms of vertical, non-vertical. If you know it, great. If you don't, it's boring. But a business decision was made that that show didn't come back for season five, even though the ratings were, were still good. And so Greg had wanted to do this big, you know, season four cliffhanger at the end to to have a way to launch season five. And so if you do stream it and, and but no one was thinking about the fact someday someone's going to sit down and watch all of these in a row, right? Like a, a 10 hour movie or no, whatever. They say you're crazy. 20 hour movie. So when I was uh, doing season four and I, we, we were coming up to do the finale, we were doing the end of the, the series. I wanted to make sure that, and because we were very much a bubble show and we, we, for one day, we were coming back for season five. I, I was told that we were on the board for one day and then fell off. Uh, I think I'm the, the one who told you that. <laughs> What's that? I, I'm the one who told you that. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Are you? Oh, I, no, I someone else told me too, no, but. An executive told me that I wanted the show to come back. So I was like, yeah, yeah we're coming back. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought we had a decent chance. But uh, again, I know why we didn't. Uh, it, it was also the Mindy Kaling show that the, at the time. And, and she was on uh, like 2000 magazine covers or something that year. Right. And uh, it was a, a better bet for them. But um, the. Um, I actually oh, the point I was making was that coming up on the, the end of season four, I thought, well, this could be it. So someday someone is going to watch these in this new landscape end to end. And how do I want it to end? And how do I set up something for next year? 
So the the sort of point was uh, ending with, you know, Martha getting the fantasy wedding she had always wanted as a little girl. Very sweet. And uh, having Kenny Loggins come and perform at the wedding. And, of course, in the pilot, you know, Danny's song was very prominent. And so we were able to get him to come back and perform that live. So I think if you watch all of it, it really was... Um, like a good ending it was a good series finale but if they had brought us back for season five we had you know the character uh of, of Mar the martha's father in place to come back and and had, had agreements you know with that actor to come do some of that and we were really set up for a good season five so it kind of opened a door uh and provided resolution together so I think that's kind of what I'm most proud of that if that if that, that I did give us a good shot of getting a season five and if we had done it, we were ready to go and hit the ground running. And when we didn't, I'm not I'm not sad with how I finished the series. That's a tremendous burden. I, I felt like how do you end a series, especially not yours? I didn't, you know, and and Greg really was, to his credit, completely available to me when I wanted him and completely hands off when uh I didn't. He never really interfered, but I could always obviously uh, call him and consult him and he would tell me, you know, his thoughts if I wanted him, but never interfered. So I, I did. I think that's probably my proudest moment Great. Is that I feel Great. like we stuck the landing. Uh, my proudest moment was, which you're going to hear a song from coming into the next segment, was the musical episode. I just, uh, Greg sort of left me in charge of that one. I think yeah. he was off doing, getting his next show ready. Because it was season three, and he knew he was going to be gone. Uh, but I just really loved that episode. Um, but I also, there was another moment where in the year you ran it, which uh, I'll quickly tell for the audience, which was, uh, we got Miss, I can't remember her name in real life. We got Mrs. Patmore from Downton Abbey to, to yeah. play a nanny on the show. I think she came in as a nanny. And I just remember, you know, at that at that moment in time, whatever it was, 2015 or whatever, Downton Abbey was insane. Like it was, it was like um, uh, Vanderpump Rules. You know, like <laughs> at this particular moment in time, Downton Abbey, the way Downton Vanderpump Rules is now, this week's you know number one trending everything. Downton Abbey, everybody's talking about Downton Abbey. And I remember Mrs. Patmore, again, I can't remember the name, the actress's name. She was very good and very nice. But she would be walking through the set and people, like crew people, would be carrying something and they'd go like, oh my God, it's Mrs. Patmore. <laughs> what, what, Mrs. Patmore's here? And it became like a buzz thing all around. So uh, we're going to take our third break. I'm talking to Mike Mariano, old friend, writer, director. We'll talk a little bit about the strike on the other side. Um... You can find Mike on Twitter at 3Mike3Mike3. Uh, and his show Honey Girls, which I want to talk about too. On the, Let's talk about that on the B-side right away. We'll open up with that. Um, and you can uh, find me at TV's Tim Stack on Twitter, but also the show Sprung out there on uh, Freebie. If you haven't seen it, another Greg Garcia creation that's really, really fun. Okay, we'll be right back. You're listening to It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. Hey, it's Tim Stack, and having been in show business for so long, I have a lot of really funny friends, and you can hear them all on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. That's part of the Jeremiah Show. So listen. 
at you, you have to eat. It's always salty, sometimes sweet. I'll go grab a knife and fork. But don't eat lobster, shrimp, or pork. There's vodka, brisket, amintosh, and pickled herring. You cannot hop. with Kugel, Mendel, Rocket, filter fish, and lox. Hey! Don't stop there, there's much surprise. Pastrami piled on rice. What's the caramel macaroons and bagels by the box? Hey! Tradition's endless history long. The perfect for a daily song. Listen, we're, we're teaching you. Just what makes a Jew a Jew. Da, 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 da. Um, I watched a little bit of that episode getting ready for this. I just, uh, the talking bagels just really, yeah. the singing bagels just really, really made me laugh. Um, so talking to Mike Mariano, writer, director, and he, his uh, movie is on uh, Netflix called, what is it again called? Honey Girls. Honey Girls. Which sounds like some other movie. Mm-hmm. Not I what wa- people expected from me. Yes. <laughs> uh, they expected one thing, they got something else. Um, but tell us about this. I watched a little bit of it. It's very, it's super cute, and it seems really, really well done. Yeah, it, it, it turned out really great. Um, and it was done through, uh, I did a couple of movies through Build-A-Bear Studios, which is the, the, the Build-A-Bear toy company where you go and you stuff your own bear there. Um, and the CEO of the company, her name is Sharon Johns, and she's really got this vision for, you know, turning the company into um, a production outlet. And the Hallmark movie that I did also was a Build-A-Bear tie-in. And oh, all I didn't of know these, that. I wanted uh, to talk about that, too. Yeah, through a, a, a company called Foundation Media and a producer named Patrick Hughes, um, who, who I've known for a long time. Our sons played hockey together and we became friends and we started working together. Um, and so we did both of those movies uh, together, sort of through the Build-A-Bear um, portal, so to speak. Um, and the, the the interesting thing about Honey Girls is that it's it's based on three dolls that have existed a long time. You can, like, you know, you can go there and there's different characters for your dolls you can buy. And the Honey Girls have been there forever as three dolls who are musicians. And it's a little. Um, oh, okay. uh, that's cool. Yeah. And so the, the premise that we came up with was basically a, a competition by a big star played by Ashanti to find the next big star from these teenage girls. And uh, during the course of this competition, that's really trying to sort of pit them against each other. These three girls become friends. And um, the the thing I wanted to find out and, and kind of stick with for me from the very beginning, and I think this lasted through because there were other writers on the project at times. It was a director who was shot during COVID. It was very hard to uh, stay you know attached, even as also as an executive producer of the movie. Um, and then I, I was in New York doing post doing OG when they were doing post out here. So um, the thing that I do think made it all the way through from my official, my original feelings about the show was, can I make friendship uh, an aspirational goal that kids would see as opposed to being famous or like when kids watch yes. it, what what I want them to, to really covet from the movie is two good friends. These girls make two good, each makes two good friends, you know, and they wear costumes and they're disguised when they sing. So the costumes kind of tie back to the characters and the, the store and whatnot, because they need to protect their anonymity because they're in this contest where they're not supposed to be working as a group. They're supposed to be working as individuals that's kind of uh but i wanted to make friendship an aspirational goal of having like two really good friends and i think that ultimately the movie does stay stay on that theme uh, all the way through and i'm, I'm kind of i'm very proud of it it's a, it's a nice looking little movie okay that one is on netflix now it is. the hallmark movie yeah called deliver by christmas i have a question yeah. about that i have not seen this movie although i probably have because my wife watches that channel she'll just turn it on you know it's like 
Do they give you a formula? Like, do they give you, like Hallmark says, okay, here's the formula. Act one, this is going to happen. Not with the no. characters, but like, this is there, what you there, need to there do. Is, I mean, there's a nine act structure, uh, you know, to the movies and, that they want because that's their how their commercial beds work. And there is a sort of this happens here, this happens there. Like, you know, they want the first act to be 20 pages. The the last, you know, the, the seventh act could be as low as six pages so that, you know, once people are in, they'll they'll watch more. So there's a little bit of that, which is just the commerce of it. That's like but in terms of what the story is about, yeah, I mean, they have pages. their stuff, but it's funny. Go ahead. They, they, they didn't come to me. We kind of went to them. Um, you know, build a bear, um, my friend Patrick and, and, and Sharon Johnson, build a bear had this idea and they came to me and then we turned it into a pitch and we got on the phone at the time. Cause it was still COVID with, uh, build a bear and, uh, we pitched it to him. I mean, with uh, hallmark and they bought it. So then you're just, you're, you're, it's just like anything else. You're, you're turning in outlines, you're getting notes, you're turning in drafts, you're getting notes. Um, and again, that one got shot during COVID also uh, up in up in Canada because um, it was sometimes with these co-productions. So uh, it, and uh, and when you shoot them in Canada and there's some rebate or whatever. And so uh, the director needed to be Canadian because I wanted to go direct that one. I really wanted to direct that one. But I couldn't because either the writer or director had to be Canadian. Right. So no, uh, no, no. I, 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 I know a little bit about the production on that, on that show or all those movies. It's just it's a machine. They just pump these things out. It's just. It's very impressive, but it is. It's like a Ford auto factory, except they're making Hallmark movies. They just pound these things out. Um, yeah, but there's, there's less of an infrastructure at Hallmark than you think, and it's mostly independent producers who sell them these things, and then and then you, and you kind of go off and make them with their notes. But, okay, so, so with Hallmark, you sort of answered it, but which will lead to the next subject, which is the the strike we're going through on. And I'm very curious about the whole AI thing. I want to hear your take on it because in a sense, Hallmark, you know, these more, these movies they do or Marvel for that. They're very formula movies. So mm-hmm. any thoughts from you about the AI factor and the director's guild who settled, they settled the strike. Um, yeah. I'm I'm just really worried about the AI thing. Um, I mean, you know, ask textile workers how it worked out. Ask auto workers how it worked out. I don't know that we're in a position to really do anything about it. That's um, I've been I've it, heard us compared to the coal industry. So yeah. So I mean, I, I you know I hope we keep fighting for some language that protects uh, the human part of this for a while. But, you know, to some extent when, when, when my friend said to me, you know, we got this idea, it's gonna be a Hallmark movie. And could you write a Hallmark movie? I was like, of course I could write a Hallmark movie, but I hadn't done it. I hadn't worked in that genre. So what did I do? I, I watched a ton of Christmas movies, you know, right. whether Hallmark or other places or whatever, but, um, to kind of learn a little bit what the formula was, and then to try and put my own take on it and then to represent, you know, um, the, the brand, since we were going through build a bear so that we had a really nice, uh, way that it organically sort of flowed into um, the piece, the way the doll played a little bit of a, um, the, the bear played a little bit of a role in, in getting the protagonist where they needed to be without being sort of an infomercial. And uh, also, you know, we we dealt with some other subjects in ours. It was um, a dad with a five-year-old son moving back to his hometown, and uh, the 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 wife or the mother of the 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 boy had died uh in afghanistan uh as a soldier 
So we kind of did go to a little bit of territory that I know they were at times very uncomfortable with. I'm sure. Um, I'm that sure. if I got wrong, war, war really in Afghanistan, the hallmark. Yeah, yeah, it would really break the hallmark model. But at the same time, you know, um, a person finding love and 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 resisting it because he wants to be there for his son was was to me an interesting place to uh to put a christmas movie and you know it, it won like the 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 uh, entertainment tonight ranked it as the number one hallmark movie of the year and the uh something called deck the halls podcast or these guys who watch every christmas movie they went on good morning america and announced it as the number one christmas movie across all platforms that year Very good. so it really it really did turn out you know well in other people's estimation uh and i was very proud of it and still am uh, and I still very much uh, do, you know, uh, work with the, the Build a Bear people and, and Foundation Media uh, on, on other projects. It's a good team. Um, well, sadly, but I'm not surprised, we've run out of time. <laughs> oh, no. No, we did because, and I still have a whole, I mean, there's, I've got a whole other page of stuff. So maybe you'll come back and talk sure. some more. Um, but I talked to Mike Mariano. Let's do a little promotion for him. Uh, his movie, Honey Girls, is on Netflix. The Hallmark movie, Delivered by Christmas, is on Hallmark. Um, that'll be coming up eight times a day. Starting now and November. forever. <laughs> <laughs> starting in November. Uh, you can find him at 3Mike3Mike3. Those are all the number threes on Twitter, and he's very funny there. Um, we didn't even get a chance. To, I wanted to talk a little bit about his wife, Tracy, who's a theater director, but you mentioned her. So you're covered. You yes. can say that. <laughs> uh, Jeremiah. All right. Going over to well. Um, yeah, no, we're sorry. We got a, unfortunately. All right, I just dropped my paper. Um, no, we got to call it a day. But, Mike, thank you very much. I'll see you on the picket line. Uh, yes, you will. Shortly. We need a, a Raising Hope reunion. The My Name is Earl reunion was really fun. So we. Yeah, it was great. I'll talk to Greg about doing that. So, cool. Because uh, that'll be fun. Okay, thank you, sir. My guest, Mike Mariano, and we'll see you next time on It's Radio with TV's Tim Stack. As always, a big thanks to our station manager, Les Carroll, for letting us on the air at all. Listeners, we appreciate you and want to hear from you. Please send us your ideas at jeremiah at thejeremiahshow.com or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. 
That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 